Uh, Jesus, we come to you this morning trusting that your word will accomplish the very thing you sent it out to, uh, that you are even capable this morning of forming within us your heart of love, even to people that don't love us back, even to our very enemies. Uh, Jesus, this morning, would you fill us with a sense of the heavenly love we have experienced and make us into a people that loves the world around us. Would they see a true representation of what your love is like when they see the way we love others? We pray in your mighty name, amen. My brother, two years older, and from the beginning, we were what you might call frenemies. Uh, siblings have this sort of rivalry happen often. Uh, early on, it was lighthearted, stealing of each other's toys, uh, tattling on each other, seeing who could be the first to make it into the car. Uh, my mom admits that we drove her crazy with all of it. Uh, but over the years, the tensions escalated. Uh, we got more physical, some pushing and shoving, certainly harsh words toward each other. Uh, there's one particular moment that I hear a lot about. It was both a high and low point in this era of tensions. Uh, my brother found his way tumbling down a set of stairs, and I might have given him a little love tap to make it happen. Things kept going like that, him getting me, me him getting him back, until one day, uh, my brother started taking jujitsu lessons. It only took one arm bar, and we were best friends ever since. <laughs> uh, you know that dynamic, don't you? That even people that you're related to by blood or lifetime friends, it can be a challenge to love. It can be a challenge to come alongside people that you have great affection for because on the inside, we're all turned toward ourselves. We're selfish, fickle beings, aren't we? So relationships are hard. Now, Jesus certainly knew that. People that were close to Jesus were hard for him to love, and yet he did it faithfully. And yet, this morning, Jesus has something far more challenging for us as his disciples. A call from the very kingdom of God to love not just our friends and family, but to love our enemies. Now, that's not naturally the way the world works. Uh, this world operates on the principle of getting. Uh, get what you can from who you can until someone crosses you. Then you make sure you get even. But Jesus is from a different place entirely, from heaven itself. And as he's been teaching his disciples in this Sermon on the Plain, they are citizens of that heavenly country. And that means they need to be different as well. They won't enter into the cycle of getting and getting others Instead, they will love as they have been loved, even when it means loving their enemies. Uh, this morning, we look at these challenging words from Jesus, and my prayer is that as we do, that Jesus would be faithful to form within us his heart of love toward a world that doesn't love us back. And we'll see that in three sections as we move through it. Uh, first, in verses 27 through 28, we'll see the call to kingdom love. The call to kingdom love. Uh, second, in 29 through 30, we'll see the examples of kingdom love. Three concrete, four concrete examples of kingdom love from the lips of Jesus. And then finally, in verse 31, 
we'll see the rule of kingdom love. The rule of kingdom love. And all of this, may Jesus be faithful to turn us into a people that love the world the way he has loved us. Let's begin in 27 through 28, the call to kingdom love. Uh, Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, that's a way of saying, listen up. I mean what I'm about to say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Uh, The call to love your enemy is shocking to hear today. Uh, We live in a moment where as a society, we are entirely uh, pointing the opposite direction when it comes to what we are to do to people that are perceived as our enemies. We are to defeat them, shout them down, make sure they have no platform whatsoever. We're certainly not supposed to love them. It's shocking to hear Jesus say that today. It was shocking back then as well, though. Uh, if you were a religious Jew living in Jesus' day, uh, you knew that you were called to love people that were like you. Leviticus 19 said that you were to love your neighbor as yourself. That that meant someone that was a fellow Israelite who shared the same lineage and was a part of the same people of God, you were obligated to love them. But no one thought you ought to love your enemies. So the people that Jesus was preaching to immediately who would have come to mind would have been the Romans. Uh, The people that were stepping on your neck. People who had all the power and love to use it to remind you that you need to stay in your place. Uh, those people, you don't need to love them. You need to find some way to get them out of your world and your country and your life. Uh, but Jesus is different. And his disciples need to be different. Now Jesus is a master teacher, so he understands that to give such a challenging teaching, he has to fill in practically what it means. Which is why immediately after stating his overarching principle, love, one, love your enemies, he gives us three specific ways we are to do that. And they follow different areas in our life, the way that we react to those who hate us. Uh, the first has to do with our actions. It says, do good to those who hate you. Uh, that is the things that your hands and your feet and the things under your control that you do, they ought to communicate goodness and love toward your enemies, not hatred and harm. Now, if someone's in the midst of hurting you, I I imagine that you're tempted to feel like you want to get even. You want to hurt them back. But but that tendency is of the flesh. That doesn't come from the Spirit of God, and that's not the way the kingdom of God operates. Uh, Remember, you have been loved by the God of heaven. He's declared you blessed in the middle of your suffering and of your want. And so you are to respond with, yes, even works of goodness to those in the midst of harming you. Uh, I heard the story of a man named Dan Bauman. He was a missionary uh, doing work in Iran. uh, When one day he was picked up along with some fellow missionaries thrown into a prison cell. Uh, They didn't tell him what was going to happen, and his imprisonment went on for months. Uh, To make matters worse, he was regularly mistreated by one particular guard. Uh, This guard denied him any ability to reach out to an embassy or to get information, but, but even worse, this guard each day 
would take him into one particular interrogation room and then would beat him, day after day being mistreated. Uh, Dan began to despair. And he said that there was a turning point that happened some months into his imprisonment. Uh, he felt that the Holy Spirit was impressing upon him that he needed to learn to love his enemy. So with the Spirit's help, one day he was taken into that interrogation room. But when the blindfold came off, Dan did something unexpected. He looked the guard in the eye and he said, I want us to do something different today. My name's Dan. God loves you. And that means I need to love you. Would you be my friend? Now the guard didn't know what to do. At first he resisted, but little by little, his heart melted. And eventually he shook Dan's hand and didn't beat him that day. Dan doesn't know what happened to him. He mysteriously disappeared from the facility the rest of that time. But Dan had an inner peace knowing that he had done what God had called him to, to love his enemy, to even reach out with an act, uh, a tangible act of kindness and goodness. I don't know who comes to mind when you think of someone that is harming you, or someone who's your enemy, but God doesn't want you to punch back. He wants you to love them the way you have been loved. There's a third action Jesus says here, not just what we do, but the words that we say, bless those who curse you. you. Know that feeling when someone throws a dart at you with their words? They make a biting comment? They humiliate you in front of others with a, a joke at your expense? What, what do you feel welling up inside your heart in that moment? I, I would wager to guess it's not words of kindness. And yet... We have the heart of Christ within us. We use our words to build up, not to destroy. We're not to fight fire with fire. Uh, we're not to try to punch back with our words. We're supposed to respond with grace, with words seasoned with salt. Uh, Jesus certainly exemplified this. It doesn't mean that he never corrected anyone. Sometimes that is the loving thing to do. And yet, Jesus never used his words to inflict wounds just to get even with anybody. So too, we as his disciples are called to be gracious, even to those who insult and revile us. Now, as I'm thinking about this list, I actually think that this is the one that most Christians living in our day struggle the most with. As a pastor, I see lots of tangible acts of kindness and graciousness, even to people that we would consider in some sense to be on, in opposition to us. Maybe they belong to a different political party or maybe a neighbor who's antagonistic to us. Uh, I see Christians regularly responding with supernatural kindness when that happens. But lamentably, I see very often those same Christians uttering words that cannot be described as loving. Characterizing people with unfair sort of words, saying things behind people's backs they would never say to their face, uh, communicating something other than Christ's heart of love toward them. Uh, brothers and sisters, this not ought to be the case. If we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we've been loved by the king of heaven, then how can the words we speak not be dripping with his love, even to those who do us harm? Uh, the fourth and final command is to pray for those 
who abuse you. Uh, I think it's intentional. There's a sort of progression to this list. Uh, moving from the principal to the closest and then getting further in distance. Uh, Dr. Phil Riken pointed out that it, when someone is abusing someone, it's often not appropriate for that person to remain close to the abuser. And yet, even if distance is required by means of wisdom, that does not give us license to hate. Uh, Jesus instructs us, even to someone who wounds us badly, could be characterized as an abuser, that we need to have a burden of love on our knees in prayer. Uh, maybe there's nothing else we can do in this world to communicate the love of Christ to this person, but we can certainly pray. That's not nothing. And that may be the most powerful thing that we can do in this world for that person who's abused us. Now, as we go through this list, I know it's inevitable that we will begin thinking of the people that have wronged us. Hurts done, sometimes long in the past. Wounds that are part way healed. And yet the pain that's still ever so present. Uh, it can be tempting in this moment to try and push away this command. That, that's too difficult, Jesus. Uh, you're talking about someone else and the wounds they have been inflicted by some other abuser, not the people who have harmed me. And yet we need to remember the person who is giving these hard commands, Jesus himself. He knows what it is to be mistreated. He knows precisely what it is to be abused. And yet he loved and loved until the love dripped out of his very veins to save his enemies. Uh, brothers and sisters, you are not only capable of this love with the spirit of God's help, you are called to it. It's not a love that's found anywhere in this world. It's only found in the kingdom of God and the king of love, Jesus. But with the aid of the spirit of God, that heart can be evident within you. And it'll even be visible to the world that hates us. Back in 1960, there was a six-year-old black girl by the name of Ruby Bridges. She lived in Louisiana during the era where the schools were being reintegrated. Uh, but just because the laws of the land had changed so that black and white students might be in the same school, that didn't mean that the hearts of the citizens had changed. So as a result, little sweet six-year-old Ruby walked a gauntlet of hate twice a day on her way to school. Protesters came and hurled vile insults and threats against her day after day to the point where U.S. Marshals had to line that gauntlet so that she could make it to the school safely. Uh, you might think that sort of abuse, even toward a child, might make a heart grow bitter. But Ruby is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, Ruby came from a family that knows the love of Jesus, even the love toward his enemies. So one day she famously walked up the steps to her school and turned around and could be seen mouthing words that no one could hear. Uh, later, when asked what she was doing, Ruby said, I was praying for those people. I asked, Ruby, why would you pray for those people? She said, oh, because mama taught me that when people treat you like that, 
Those are the sort of people that need your prayers. So I'm going to pray for them. Don't you want that sort of heart to be formed in us? Oh, what would it be like if our church was filled with people that responded to hate and abuse like little Ruby did back in 1960? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Next, Jesus shows us examples of what that love looks like very practically. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. He knows that it's one thing to state principles and give commands. If you don't flesh it out, people won't understand what you mean. So he gives us four examples in verses 29 and 30 of what this sort of otherworldly kingdom love looks like. Uh, the first is the most famous. Verse 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other one also. Now, even though this command is famous, it's often misunderstood. Many Christians understand this as a call to strict pacifism. Uh, that is, if you are walking down the street and someone takes a swing at you, that you are not in any way to resist their physical violence. In fact, you are to open yourself up to more physical violence. Now, there's a number of reasons, at least two, that are worth us considering why that's not what I believe what Jesus means. Uh, the first is that there are other parts of the Bible that show us that there are times where evil needs to be resisted, even with force. Uh, places like Romans 13 talk about the need for governments to use force, like police and military, to restrain violent, evil people. That is not an unloving thing for a Christian to do. I would argue that it's actually part of loving your neighbor to both restrain their evil, either when it's being committed against someone else or even potentially against you. So strict pacifism can't be what Jesus has in mind. Uh, the second thing is this isn't meant so much as uh, an attack against your physical body as it is an assault against your pride. Uh, Daryl Bach, in his commentary on this passage, points out that this was undoubtedly a backhanded slap. Uh, that was the sort of insulting gesture that Jews back then would use when they wanted to show scorn for someone. So, for instance, in a synagogue, if you had a, uh, a rabbi or some sort of synagogue official that maybe was abusing their power and wanted to demonstrate their power over the people there, a backhanded slap would have communicated that this was not a person to be taken seriously. That was a way of showing, I'm bigger than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. A modern-day equivalent might be a raised middle finger on the street, or maybe in a staff meeting at work, getting absolutely berated by your boss, and the point of it is that everyone sees it happen to you. Uh, the point of it, the sting of it, is the humiliation. Uh, Jesus is saying that when you as a Christian experience a direct insult against you, that your response needs to, to not be to defend yourself or to get even. Uh, in fact, that love should move you to open yourself up to further insults if that's what it takes to get close to the person. Now again, a lot of wisdom needs to be brought into this. At what point is your responsibility as a neighbor or someone who has influence in society override your individual responsibility as a Christian? But at the very least, we need to be more concerned about loving our neighbors than we are with protecting our pride. 
Jesus tells us, turn the other cheek. Uh, the next three examples are all having to do with property and our rights related to them. He says again in verse 29, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your t- tunic either. Uh, back then, your cloak was your outer garment that protected you from the elements. There were, uh, that was something that people thought you had no right to take from someone. Uh, even under the law, there was protections against uh, leaving someone so penniless that they didn't have this basic form of clothing and shelter. So Jesus imagines a scenario where someone comes and they steal that outer cloak, essential for living. And he tells them not to resist. And instead to give them their tunic, that which is kind of like the shirt off your back. Again, I don't think that we are to take this absolutely as if Christians can never try and prevent their possessions from being stolen. Uh, it doesn't mean that having an alarm system or a lock on your door is somehow sinful. But it does mean you need to love people more than you care about your possessions. You need to be so open-handed about the stuff that you have that you'd be willing, yes, to even give up that stuff through theft if it meant you might communicate love to the one doing the stealing. Challenging words. Uh, ones that come after are no less challenging. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. I, I actually think a better translation of that word beg is asks of you. Uh, I don't think Jesus has in mind uh, panhandlers on the street, although certainly we should be loving toward them also. Uh, but more a neighbor who comes asking for help. And maybe you don't know exactly how legitimate the need is. Do you really need to borrow my truck? Do you really need that ladder? Do you really need me to come move? You don't have boys that are strong enough to do it yourself? Uh, Jesus says, if a, if a neighbor comes asking for help, love your neighbor more than you love your free time and your resources. Go and help. Be extravagantly gracious toward them and giving them what they ask. Now, we as a church realize that there is a lot of wisdom needed, how you apply this as well. Uh, it's very possible, while trying with the best motives to help someone to actually do more harm than good. Uh, that's why we as a church, when we take a benevolence offering on Sunday morning, uh, we don't just give that money out straight away. We actually have a team of church members uh, led by one of our elders, Ken Arguello. Uh, we call it a benevolence team. And anytime one of the people in the community, one of our neighbors, comes alongside and says, we need some help, uh, that team tries to take the time to come alongside and provide that help if we can. Now, there's a lot of complexity in how you do that. Uh, if you want more info, I invite you to, to talk to Ken. But I would say there's this one principle that I th- think is good for us. When in doubt, if you're not sure whether this is a le- legit need or not, err on the side of helping versus not helping. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Even if you can't know absolutely for certain the, the story they're telling you is true. Uh, leave it to the Lord, the times when you'll get taken for a ride, and the times where what they're telling you is less than half the truth. But when you can, before the Lord, love people by helping with the means he's given you, whether that's your time or your resources. All right, one last one here. 
And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Uh, I don't think in that Jesus has returned to the same topic of theft here. I think this time it's a neighbor who asks to borrow and maybe doesn't return the thing he borrowed. Uh, that neighbor who asks for your ladder, maybe four years later, that ladder is still sitting in the backyard. Uh, you certainly have the right to go to that neighbor and say, hey, come on, give me back my ladder. But would you love that neighbor more than you love your stuff? If it were the thing to do to communicate the witness of Christ's love to your neighbor, would, would you let that ladder go? So that you can show just a tiny bit of how Christ has loved you. Now in all of this, what matters is the heart. Uh, Jesus is calling us to love people as genuinely as we can and to do that with concrete actions. And at times that will be greatly, very costly to us. And yet if we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it should be something we don't hesitate to do. Uh, there's a brother in the Lord that I've never met, but one day when uh, I'm in the heavenly assembly, I hope to meet him. He goes by the name of R.C. Chapman. Uh, he was very influential over in England in the early days of the Plymouth Brethren. Uh, Chapman was known as the apostle of love. Everyone who met him said, this is a guy who loves like Jesus. And that even meant loving people that didn't love him back. Uh, there was one particular guy in his town, a grocer, um, who really did not like Chapman. Uh, in fact, he went out of his way to make Chapman's life miserable. Uh, he tried to convince people to leave his church. And anyone new who came into town, he told not to go to his church. Uh, he regularly told lies about Chapman and slandered him and did everything he could to ruin his ministry. But Chapman refused to fight fire with fire. He never said a bad thing about the man. And in fact, one day when someone moved to town and this grocer hadn't quite gotten to him yet, the person came to Chapman and asked, hey, I'm getting to know the town. Where should I shop for groceries? You know what Chapman did? He sent him to the grocer's shop. And he gave him a note. A note that was filled with blessings for his enemy to read. What a powerful witness it is when God's people love like their king of love, Jesus. You won't find love like that in this world. It comes from heaven and the kingdom of heaven. And how powerful it is when we live that out. One final thing that Jesus wants to put in front of us. A summary of this whole set of teachings in one pithy saying. Verse 31, the rule of the kingdom of love. The rule of the kingdom of love. Verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now this is often called the golden rule. Uh, that's in contrast to a very common sort of moralistic rule, often called the silver rule. You find in many philosophers and teachers back in the ancient world. That is, do nothing to others that you don't want done to you. That's the, the negative version of this. In other words, you don't harm people by doing something you wouldn't want done to yourself. Uh, I'd say there's a, a step below that even, where most people operate in, they don't even live up to the silver rule. I call it the tin can rule. 
That is, you get what you can from whoever you can for as long as you can. We live for ourselves and we find excuses so that others think differently of us. Uh, but Jesus wants to call us to something that glitters with the very glory of heaven, to a golden rule, beautiful in its simplicity, and yet so profound you could spend a lifetime trying to tease out all the implications. Whatever you want others to do to you, do to them as well. Uh, think about this. You could apply this to two kids playing in the sandbox or to a couple that's been together for 50 years. Uh, it could rightly be applied to people in a church or to two warring CEOs with a very public feud. How different would the world be if people simply treated each other the way they wanted to be treated? Uh, now, some thinking's required for this to actually be applied, though. Uh, this doesn't limit you to doing to other people the things that you want done to you right at this very moment. Now, you have to be able to put yourself in their place and ask, if I were in their position, how would I want to be treated in that moment? Uh, that opens up categories of love that make us try to love over the long haul. Uh, um, parents, I'm sure your kids would absolutely want to have all the candy you could possibly give them at any moment in time. Uh, but if you, with the knowledge you have now, if you were in their place, you would not want someone to open the floodgates of sugar. Uh, you know that's not good for their teeth and certainly not good for their habits of what they'll eat over the long term. So you love them by preventing them from gorging themselves on lollipops. Uh, in the same way, oftentimes, someone we love finds themselves in the grip of some destructive lifestyle or addiction. Uh, they may want very badly for us to enable that, that terrible path they're on. Yet love would not have us just do what they want in the short term. We have to imagine what, what would we want someone to do, even the hard thing to do, if we were caught in that sort of deceptive, destructive lifestyle. Uh, the golden rule is a summary of loving our neighbors and loving our enemies. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, if you remember this, you'll be more like Jesus at the end of it. Jesus has been lauded by philosophers and uh, moral teachers down through the ages for this teaching. Gandhi famously loved this teaching of Jesus. Uh, but as Christians, I think we need to have an even deeper appreciation by knowing how it is that Jesus treated us. And Jesus himself was never a sinner, to be sure. He was never an enemy of God based on anything he had ever done. And yet, he treated us with such tender kindness and love uh, by coming and taking our very place under the very wrath of God so that we would not forever be lost, but instead be forgiven and welcomed into the very kingdom of heaven. Our brothers and sisters, I think one of the implications this has for us is for us to be catapulted into witness to our neighbors and loved ones compelled by the love of Christ. Put yourself in their shoes. 
If you didn't know God, if you were far from him, if you were under his wrath, wouldn't you want someone to love you enough to have an uncomfortable conversation and come tell them about Jesus? Uh, To be sure, there's wisdom needed to know uh, when to do that quickly, when to play the long game. But let's love people enough to do the hard thing and tell them about the king of love in the hopes that one day they might be loved by him as we have as well. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I, I want you to consider this. What would it be like if everyone in the world lived by this simple rule? Why don't people live like this? Uh, What is it about humanity that down through the thousands and thousands of years of at least recorded history, uh, we find people not treating each other the way they want to be treated, but instead getting all they can from whoever they can? Is it just a matter of needing more teaching like this? This teaching's been around for 2,000 years. Or might there be something deeper wrong with us? Uh, Jesus knows well the heart that's within us, which is why the the rest of his teachings in the Bible tell us the problem is not just ignorance. Uh, The problem is our hearts, Uh, that we care more about ourselves than the people around us or even the God who made us. The Bible calls that an idolatry, uh, turning toward the things of ourselves and the things we love rather than the God of love who made us. The Bible says that idolatry leads one day to judgment from God. But the good news is that this God is also loving and merciful. And even while we were his enemies, he loved us this much that he would send his son to die for us. If you don't know anything about Christianity, this is the most basic uh, message of what it means to understand who Jesus is. He is the expression of of love from heaven to come and rescue sinners from the just penalty of their sins. Now, if you don't know what it means to experience that love from Jesus or how to take a step toward him, after the service, just hang around. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you and walk you through how you too can experience the love of Christ. Jesus loves us and he calls us to love others the way we've been loved. Uh, That doesn't just go for those who are easy to love, but even for our enemies. But when we do that, what a powerful witness it is to the world of the glories of Christ and his kingdom. One of my heroes of the faith is a man by the name of Louis Zamperini. Uh, Back in World War II, uh, Louis was uh, in an airplane that went down over hostile waters Survived a long time adrift only to be put in a Japanese internment camp. Uh, In that camp, he experienced incredible abuse. Till the end of the war, not enough food to eat, not enough time to rest. And even worst of all, the abuse of one particular guard, a man that they called the bird. Uh, The bird was, uh, had some standing in the prison and was unbelievably cruel, and pretty soon he picked out Louis as his favorite target for his attacks. Even after the war was over and Louis was back to safety, he was haunted by the nightmares of his trauma 
He imagined being back in that camp and the bird preying upon him. And he thought that that darkness would envelop him. But in the midst of his lostness, Louis was brought to a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, Louis heard the good news of the king of love, Jesus, and he became a Christian. Uh, Not only did Christ fill his heart with love and banish those dark dreams, Christ built within him his heart of love, even towards his abusers. Uh, Decades after the war was over, Louis was able to go back to Japan to a gathering of the prison guards that were there. He sat them down. Uh, He told them of all the abuse that he had received at their hands. But he told them of the love he'd received from Christ, that he forgave them, and he wanted them to be forgiven as well. Uh, Unfortunately for Louis, though, his heart's main desire did not happen that day because the man that Louis wanted to reach out to the most was the bird. And the bird had gone into hiding. As far as they knew, he was dead. Turned out he wasn't. Since Louis couldn't say it to his face, he published his letter to the bird. I want you to hear a section from it and be encouraged by the love of Christ shown to our enemies. Louis said, under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you had committed harakiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Brothers and sisters, where will you find a love like that? I won't find it anywhere in this world. But you'll find it in the kingdom of heaven, under the king of love. And you'll find it in each and every one of his followers who have his heart of love, even for his enemies. Would you pray with me? Jesus, our minds and hearts are now filled with conviction, feeling the reality that we have not lived up to this hard saying of yours. Our natural instinct is not to respond in grace and love to those who harm us. Our natural instinct is to fight back or pull back, to do anything we can to make the pain go away. And yet we know that you can provide the things that are lacking inside us. So we ask you by your spirit, fill us, form within us your heart of love. So that we might love our enemies the way you've loved us. Uh, Jesus, would you give us particular expression of our love in the way that we speak to those who oppose us? 
Uh, I pray you would protect us from flinging arrows back at those who we perceive to be against us. Would our words be seasoned with salt? Would they melt hearts, not break them? Would you use us as your witnesses? And would we see others experience your heart of love as well? Uh, Jesus, we confess that this is not something that's within us. And we give you all the glory for the times we see it bubbling out from inside us. So now would you help us to sing in worship to you, our gracious and loving King. We pray in your name. Amen.